When I was a senior at Purdue, I had a really, really crappy game at Notre Dame, and I was benched because I got complacent. And I think about that today. A lot of people, you know, you get a podcast opportunity, you get an article written about you, you know, people are patting you on the back, but you don't want to settle for where you're at right now. Hey there, I'm Mark Minner of First Person Advisors. Welcome to Human Resolve, the podcast designed for the unsung heroes of the workplace, HR professionals like you. Each time we gather, we cover the highs and the lows, hits and misses, and everything in between. Welcome you into another edition of Human Resolve. We are delighted to be joined by our guest, Seth Morales, the Chief Executive Officer of Morales Group, Inc. We've also got our friend Megan Nail back as our Vice President of Total Rewards at First Person. I'm Mark Minner. Thanks so much for joining us this week. And Seth, I have to start. It would not be a Seth Morales interview for those of you that, that do not know Seth. Seth, of course, first made famous by the big catch against Ohio State, the Big Ten Championship, courtesy of Drew Brees back in 2000. So we have gotten the obligatory Seth Morales catch story out of the way. But that's how a lot of people do know you, Seth. You were famous before you even got got into the business world. That's right. It's kind of the claim to fame signature moment for Purdue football. It's been a minute since we've been to the Rose Bowl. So I think whenever you have a Hall of Fame quarterback like Drew Brees, it just gets even more, I think, legendary. But, you know, for me, I was right place, right time, was not that talented, just grateful to be a part of a special team that made a run. And yeah, you know what? I, I like I like the fact that I was able to, you know, establish some sort of success apart from Morales Group. That just shows that, you know, I'm capable at, at other things, but grateful for that moment for sure. Well, we'll talk about your humility as we go on so that you don't need to be too humble to start the uh, start the podcast here. But you and Megan, both boilers, and then you went on to get your MBA at Notre Dame. So we will we will talk more about sports as we get into it. But let's start here. You are done with your time at Purdue and you go into the business world. And a few years later, you and your dad are getting set to embark on a new journey. Your dad's going to start the Morales Group in 2003. And what is that conversation like for you? What had you heard from him? And how did you decide to get involved in a family business? It's a really good question to kick off. When I think about back in 2003, my dad had had this entrepreneurial itch. And at the same time, my my grandfather was on his kind of last stage of life with cancer. And he challenged my dad to really give back and make an impact. And that way that my father felt like he could make a difference was by providing a job. Now, my dad knew nothing about staffing and recruiting, but he knew that it made an impact on not only the individual who was making money and getting a job, but their family. And so my dad felt called to try to have a impactful business. And he felt like one way to support his community was by starting a staffing recruiting company. And at the time I had moved back from Purdue and I was living at home. I was in another job. I'd gotten a job right out of college with a company called Rico. And my dad was fearful of starting the company, which was really interesting to see him at 50, fearful of kind of pulling the trigger and taking the the step. But I remember sitting down with my mom and, and, and dad and at the kitchen table and I challenged him to really kind of 
get off the comfort zone and, and kind of step into the game. And they did the next day, they pulled the trigger on building the business. They put, you know, a hundred thousand dollars of their own money into getting this thing going and fast forward, it's, it's turned into the right decision, but it was really cool to see them kind of step out in faith and see their fear at that age, five kids and a bunch of us in college. And it was a little bit of a risk for him being 50 and not being an, an entrepreneurial role his whole life. So that was cool to see that all kind of unfold. I'm sure you couldn't necessarily fully appreciate that moment or the decision that he was going through until you get to a little bit later in your life and you start to think about taking over the reins as the the CEO. And you look back on that probably even creates a bit more depth to that moment back in 2003. hundred percent. I mean, when you look at, I remember living with my, my parents that that first year out of college, which was, I felt like a total loser, but I was saving some money up to buy a house. But I remember seeing my dad laying in bed, just kind of staring up at the ceiling. Just, he was just I, at par- sometimes paralyzed, sometimes thinking just a lot of burden, I think on his shoulders as he was starting the company. It was really interesting to see all that unfold as he was, he was building his business. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm just grateful. I had a chance to watch and, and be on the sidelines and, and let him kind of bear a lot of the burden, but it's been helpful to be right next to him learning, but also not being in the seat, but, you know, fast forward to just recently and, and having a pandemic and moving into the role of CEO, it's definitely Mark, I'm sure you can feel my, I don't know, just the, the empathy that we have, just being in this role sometimes takes on some pressure. And I'm grateful that he was able to kind of coach me along the way. And along the way included 15 plus years, sales, marketing, operations, different roles in the family business. It wasn't like it was, boom, here's Seth. He's going to take over the, the company. You, you had worked your way through the business and really understood it. And along the way, your team's had tremendous success scaling the business to over $150 million in, in sales, when you think about that journey and, and the lessons that you were able to learn along the way, it's not easy being in a family business. And it's not easy day to day in different roles, both what you and your family would have. And you know, on the flip side, what you and the relationship with the other employees are like to earn the, the respect and, and credibility in, in that setting. What did you learn over those 15 years as you worked in different business functions that helped prepare you to be the leader you are today? Yeah, I think when you jump in and you, you, you're in a family business, you wear a lot of hats and you have to, I think, have some humility. And, and there have been times where, you know, I was in, in sales just right off the bat. And for seven years, I was kind of beating the street. There was times where I stepped into an operational role where I was leading the team. And at one point I was demoted. And so there were times where I was demoted, promoted. You wear a lot of different hats as you grow this business from recruiting to admin to being a step in like junior varsity CEO when your dad's not there. <laughs> so you, you wear a lot of different hats. I think the advice or the, the thought that I have is just be flexible, be a utility player, try to figure out your role when, when it's necessary for the right time. There's different stages of, of business growth. And as we first started out, you wear a lot of different hats and then you kind of get specialized as you move up and build your business. And so it's been interesting going through that exercise and trying to figure that out. And the other thing that you, you mentioned, speaking of the family business and why your dad started it, was it's interesting to hear not only from what the company talks about on the website and what you see in articles, but also what you hear from employees and what you hear from community partners is that 
this is not just a staffing business, right? This is a business that happens to be in staffing and is built on really being focused on the community and, and focused on helping lift up others. One of the things that we've seen in 2020 has been a renewed and, and long overdue emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Some of the events this summer have led to a new lens and a renewed energy around making sure that that's at the top of, of every company's agenda. What's interesting is you look back at the history of your company, Seth, and you think about how you've been pursuing diversity, equity, and inclusion before that was really even like a term, right? And that's been something that's been a focus for your organization. Why was that a focus? And what have you seen over the company's history that that's allowed you to do that other companies who might just be stepping their toe in the water or just jumping into this conversation what might they learn about the impact that's had on your organization? I think for us, we, we saw it as a core differentiator. There were a lot of companies that thought that diversity was kind of a buzzword, but didn't really live it out. And for us, we saw that strength lied in differences, not similarities. And from an early stage of building the business, you know, there was a natural draw with diverse communities, especially communities from around the globe that needed an opportunity, needed a job, but also needed a voice and not just kind of a transactional relationship. They wanted somebody to be an advocate for them. And so we saw that as, as we started the company. Initially, there was a, a draw with the Hispanic Latino workforce. Over time, it evolved. And there were so many different countries from Latin America that were, were represented with the Morales Group. But then we started to get folks from all over the world. And it was really impactful for our business. We felt like if you were going to provide somebody a job, you needed somebody that understood somebody else's background or that could speak their language and could relate culturally. So we have, you know, over 30 different nationalities represented and multiple languages spoken inside Morales Group. So that's been that's been really helpful for us. And it's been since day one. And we built upon, you know, leveraging diversity as a differentiator. But I think a lot of companies now are trying to pick up onto it. I think they're late to the party. It's okay. But the good news is that diversity and DNI discussion is is being more prevalent. It's great to see we have more dialogue around it. For me, I saw that, you know, diversity was kind of like being invited to the the, the dance. And, you know, I think it's more important that you're actually not only invited, but you get asked to dance. And that's where I think the inclusion part and being a part of the conversation, not just being asked to, to jump in, but hey, you're, you're actually choosing the song and you're dancing on the dance floor. And that's what DNI or diversity and inclusion means to me. So I think there's there's opportunity right now. There's some good momentum right now. There's talk about it. But even as a as a company that's very kind of, I think we've established that we have more work to do in our leadership ranks. And we're not, you know, we're not as diverse as we'd like to be. So there's plenty of work for anyone and everyone. I think you just you got to get started and it has to start at the top and your leader has to be genuinely interested in, you know, I think trying to make a change. So. And Megan nail, as we bring you into the conversation, it's interesting. Megan is our vice president of total rewards and the state director for Indiana Sherm HR Indiana. And Megan, you think about that conversation of DE and I, how important truly to getting something off the ground and, and getting it sustainable is that leadership buy-in when you think about the impact that it, makes for an entire organization. It can't just only live within the HR realm. Absolutely. I think it needs to start at the top and then also start at the bottom and really infuse throughout the entire culture. And to your point, Seth, I love 
the idea of being diverse in our recruiting and bringing in these diverse individuals. But then how do we have that be a part of the culture and give those individuals opportunities to grow and advance their skills and really move up if that's what they're interested in in their career so we can get the full benefit of all of their perspective? Yeah, the the other thing that I've seen that's been helpful for us is just the branding and messaging around diversity and inclusion and how you do that. And we've done it through a few of our core values and our our Legos program where you you bring people together. And, you know, when you go into our four walls at our different offices, you'll see like a global map and you'll see welcome in different languages. And so that's that you, you brand that and first person's great at branding. And I think about, you know, companies that are intentional about making sure that it's, it's not only like up on the wall, but what you do is who you are and making sure that you live it out too through your actions. So there's, there's a lot of different ways to, to make it front and center, but it's something that it's not going away. It's, it's neat to see, you know, folks grabbing a hold of it and it's going to be fun to see how it, as it grows moving forward. Seth, one of the things that I think a lot of leaders struggle with when it comes to taking a step into the world of DE and I is fear fear that they don't know that's not it's not something that's comfortable for them right it's comfortable with them to just kind of continue to do the same things they've done as a organization and that doesn't mean you know not having that at the at the table it just means a focus area right going deeper making more intentionality about that and what i find interesting having got to know you is the not just what you write about but what you know kind of leader you are is a very vulnerable one and you think about the conversation around being being willing to kind of put yourself out there and go into something that you're not super familiar with. It's not been the conversation that you've led through for for the business that's gotten you there. What would your advice be or what has your advice been to other leaders that are trying to go into a little bit of new waters for them in terms of the intentionality and focus and some of these different conversations? Yeah, I think the first step is just go do. You're going to make some mistakes and you're going to feel awkward, but the fact that you you take action and, and move forward with it, I think is really important. A lot of, I think leaders are fearful and they don't take that first step or have that conversation. So that that's first and foremost, think about Gary V and he talks about just go do like, just, just do it. That's definitely something that I would encourage any leader to do. The second thing I would say is just make sure that you get a really good team around you that has, you know, a belief in what you're, what you're doing and, and find other leaders to kind of leverage their strengths to, to build upon that for us, you know, we have a leadership team and a really strong HR group and we brought, you know, that, that team together to talk about, all right, here's, here's the vision of where we're at. We're considered kind of a front runner in diversity, but here's where we're falling short and this is what we got to get better at. So having a, a plan and getting buying at the table from like Megan said, I think, you know, at the top of the organization, at the bottom, letting people know that you're genuine about it. And, you know, I got on a, a town hall meeting in the summer and I was real about where we've, we've, we've had success and where we've not had success with the diversity with our team and just being, I think, authentic about it. Like you said, Mark, that's really important. I was, I was open about, Hey, you know what? We build homes in Mexico for those that are less fortunate, but you know, our intern, Rondell Moore from Purdue University, shout out to Rondell. He challenged us to, you know, build locally. He's like, why aren't you building down in Louisville? You got an office down there. There's some some areas that need help. Like, why aren't you doing something in Lafayette or in Indy? And so, you know, I felt convicted about, you know, we're not doing enough in, in certain communities, especially the black community. And so it's like, all right, I'm going to call it out. And let's let's talk about it and let's then let's do something about it. So 
I, I think you got to have the conversation, go do things, put the right people around to help kind of make up for maybe. So you have a good team around to, to execute on it, but that's a, it's a really good question. I think it's just, it's ongoing and it's going to be a challenge for a lot of leaders, especially if they're CEOs that aren't willing to do anything about it or they'll talk about it. It's lip service. It was kind of the flavor of the month in the summer and then it, it dies down. Hopefully that's not the case. Yeah. And that's interesting to hear you, somebody who's been focused on this for over 15 years, who's willing to be challenged and respond and, and take that feedback and continue to grow from, from that as well. Yeah. When you look back, one of the things you've talked about is you're willing to be open about all the great moments in your life. And you're also willing to share some of the bigger challenges you've, you've had, whether you've been able to overcome them quickly or it's taken a while to work through that. When you look back on your career, what are some of the stories or the pieces of feedback that you like sharing around obstacles that, that, you've, that you've been faced with? You know, when I think about my career and I think about building Morales Group or walking on to, to produce football team, it's always been about kind of being the underdog and having that grit. You know, I think as long as you have the right sort of people smarts and EQ over IQ and you're willing to put in the effort, good things have happened for me. And so I think, you know, my, my story has been, it's always about, you know, putting yourself in this role of enjoying the process, the process of becoming a, a starting all big 10 receiver or the process of building a company to 150 million in revenue or the process of having like great impact on how you, you build a business and, you know, impact the community in better ways. So really, I think there's a lot of leaders and young leaders out there that are really worried about, you know, the result. And they think it's more of a sprint and less of a marathon. And for me, it's just enjoy the process of trying to get better, you know, over time. And if you enjoy the process, a lot of the other stuff will kind of, you know, work its way out. So the kind of the branding or the the storyline for Seth has been, you know, you know, stay humble, stay hungry, be the underdog, always enjoy this process of building. I think one, one real great life lesson for me was when I was a senior at Purdue at a really, really crappy game at Notre Dame and I was benched and I, I split time with the freshman the second half of my senior year because I got complacent. And I think about that today, just as a professional, as a business, a lot of people, you know, you get a podcast opportunity, uh, you get a, an article written about you, you know, people are patting you on the back, but you don't want to settle for where you're at right now. And there's more to do. And I think that, 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 that lesson learned about not, you know, being complacent has, has been really helpful for me. And I think that'll continue. That was probably one of the best life lessons is getting benched and having coach Tiller, you know, not being, <laughs> not being good graces, but it was, it was great for me because I've, I've let that life lesson, like that's haunting me, like still to this day. And you can't let that happen to Morales group. You can't have that, you know, as a father, as a husband, you know, as just a professional, just you want to get better. So that's something that, that has been really important. And you've been able to work with great leaders. You mentioned Coach Tiller in that example at, at Purdue. Of course, folks will know that name, legendary coach. And, and you talk about your father and learning life lessons from him. As you've continued to grow in the business and in the community, you've seen other examples of great leadership. You mentioned Drew Brees a second ago, who I know has been a great mentor to, to you. What do you, when you look back at those role models in your life, what do you take away from the different experiences you've had to see leadership in action? I see a couple things. I, th I think about Coach Tiller and I think about just like being black and white and calling it out and not just sugarcoating it. Sometimes I think leadership is about just having difficult conversations and 
there's no better leader and, and coach Tiller with that scenario. I look at Drew Brees and I think about, you know, he was great leader by example. He owned the bookends of the day. So early in the morning or late at night, he was out achieving everyone, whether it was the video film room, you know, late at night when everyone was, you know, packing it up, heading home, he was in for a couple more hours or, you know, he was in early to get the, the right training and waking up early to, you know, jump into the word and have quiet time or whatever he was doing, he was winning those bookends. So another example, I just think about my father. He's tactically, you know, he, he understands business. He's understand, he, he's really kind of grasped business, I think, over the last five years. But, you know, I think his, his example of just being generous with his time, with people and relationships and giving, you know, he still lives in the same house that I grew up in. Probably could have a different house today, probably a little bit bigger, but you know, he's, he's cool just doing his thing and giving a lot of his, his funds and, and impact from the business away. It's really neat to see that lived out as a leader because he could, you know, do some other things. So I think about those leaders and I think about, you know, difficult conversations and winning the bookends with Breeze and then my dad just being very generous and man, those have an impact on you. You just kind of take notes as a leader. You watch other people as you, as you grow. And sometimes they, they, they share these things with you. Or sometimes you just kind of learn by taking notes and watching. And that's been really helpful for me to see that. One of the most important relationships for anybody that's played sports is that player coach dynamic, the relationship of getting the feedback and learning and listening and being challenged and becoming a better player as a result of the impact the coach has on you. And for your career, in a lot of ways, you've been in that player position, right? Whether it's been actually playing football growing up or learning the business through your, your father and being in that player role, he's kind of been the coach. And then over time, that's changed. And, and you've become the coach in that dynamic. How has that transition been for you? Have you realized it's happened? And in turn, how would you grade, grade yourself being the coach to, to all the players in, in the Morales group? You know, it's a work in progress. I have not figured it out. You know, what you realize, I think, as a leader is eyes are on you at all times and, and they're closely watching and your example matters, whether you're masked up in the office or you're following through with with an email, you know, after hours or you're showing empathy or you're having a difficult conversation. They're watching a lot of, a lot of that played out. I think I think I'm learning. I'm not there yet. For me, it's been fun to watch my father live out by example. For me, one of my, I think, giftings is affirmation, words of affirmation and, and speaking into people. And so I feel like I can pull people aside, whether it's, you know, in the huddle or off onto the sideline and, and have a, maybe a difficult conversation where I, I build them up and let them know that, hey, you can get better at this and, and speaking into them, you know, truth over harmony at times where, you know, it's not an easy conversation, but it's warranted. So I'm getting there. I think, you know, I'm struggling, you know, at times where I'm just like, man, I, I'm just, I don't want to like have to coach at all the time. I want to, I want to be able to kind of just go off to the sideline and hang out and observe, but that's, that's part of the role. And it's been a, a big part of, you know, 2020 with a pandemic and lots of, uh, lots of empathy demonstrated and making sure that, you know, people aren't isolated and that your communication is up. So whether it's through a video, weekly video that I send out to the team or, you know, just texting people on teams or uh, just call them and talking to them. It's important that you, you make that time to, to communicate and have some of those coaching moments. But I think, you know, it's just a work in progress. I'm 41. I'm still learning the game. It's fun kind of being in this role as coach. 
you know, it's been fun to have a platform on LinkedIn and, and share and, and share some of the content. It's been neat that a lot of people have, have reached out to me to talk about some of this stuff that I've shared. And it's interesting because they'll want to, they want to hear more about what you've shared about it. It's just, it's a new dynamic. So I'm, I welcome it, but I'm, I'm still just trying to get better right now. By the way, a quick plug for Seth's LinkedIn personality. Megan, you're a super user of, of LinkedIn. And, and I know you know how impactful Seth is in that LinkedIn community. I think it goes back to your point about, Seth, your vulnerability and your willingness to share kind of all facets. And I love what you were talking about leadership in those different roles, because I think especially in 2020 and all the challenges we've all faced on different levels, being able to play those different roles for people when they need it, that tough, you know, tough coach or the really supportive words of affirmation. I think that's a great thing for us to all remember as we continue to navigate this. What I think is really interesting is there's a lot of leaders that are very kind of close vested and they don't want to share. And then they don't know how to share or know how to get their ideas across on a platform like that, like LinkedIn. And I, I just think there's so many, I think there's a lot of leaders that have great, you know, great thoughts and, but they're not willing to do that. And I feel like they're missing an opportunity because I think the CEO or president can be a great brand ambassador today, especially for companies that are trying to attract talent or grow their business, because I don't think people want to do business with, you know, just a company or business. They want to do business with people at first. Right. And so that, that connecting of a persona or a person first is what I think really gravitates you to a, an organization. And then by association, they're, they're with uh, the entity or the company that they represent. And so I just think a lot of leaders are missing it. Those that are out there, they're, they're promoting a lot about who they are and what they do. And, it's not, it's not necessarily about Morales group and staffing and recruiting. It's more so about, Hey, let's try to find value and, and get a message across. That's, that's helpful to the audience. And I wish, I wish more leaders, you know, figure that out, but it, you know, there's some that are doing it really well as well. Seth, you spent a little bit of time talking about the HR impact on your organization. And I want to dive a little bit deeper there. When, as you've taken over in the CEO seat and really through your time in the organization, how important have you seen that role of HR be in terms of not just the day-to-day internal stuff, but in, in terms of like the actual growth of the organization? I wish HR had a, had a bigger seat and, and voice at the table. And, you know, I, to me, I don't think businesses like businesses don't grow. People do. And when you have people, leaders that are invested in lifting up your culture and your people and focused on your kind of your culture strategy and people strategy. I think that's what really, I think can change the game for, for a business. And so to me, again, I I say this over and over again, HR isn't a thing we do. It's the thing that runs our business. How do we make HR more impactful? How do we have our HR director as a leader? How do we have, you know, a chief, human resource officer? How do we create chief empathy officer? How do we create a chief people officer? Those are the ideas that we're, we're contemplating and, and making those roles, you know, number two in the organization where the people part, if you get that, which is really easy, like I wish more businesses would invest in their HR department and their, their people strategy, but a lot of businesses don't get that. And so I think they're missing an opportunity. So for me, I think, our business has really grown a lot when we started to invest in our team and our culture. 
and we realized, hey, like staffing is not very sexy and it's not very innovative. We're helping fill job orders and, and finding people jobs. But if you have a better set of team or teammates and you have a healthy culture, then you're going to you're going to have success. I kind of compare it to you think about like the NFL. The NFL has a salary cap. So everyone's kind of playing off of a certain amount of dollars. And it's the same thing with staffing. Like there's nothing innovative. We have no like technology or some sort of like proprietary like difference. It's just like you just you're staffing. So it really comes down to your people and your system. If you're investing in your leaders and you're investing in HR and you're really working at that, I think your your business is gonna, you know, outperform the competitors. So highly, highly recommend giving HR not only a seat at the table, but more so like a number two spot in the organization and making them realize that it's not just like an admin like compliance function. This is strategic. This is not only strategic, but this is like this is the game. If you get this part right, everything else takes care of itself. So uh, just my my two cents on that, but love kind of what the HR group represents and uh, see a ton more opportunity as, as, as we go forward with, with business shifting and just this, all these macro things affecting the business environment today. I think there's going to be more opportunity for HR to be strategic and have a, have, have a bigger voice. It's music to your ears, Megan. It is, I know. And I was thinking about that, Seth, just how much has shifted. And when you really look at everything that has happened, I think it's really elevated HR's role in a very positive way, even though I completely agree with you that it it should have been elevated before if it wasn't already. But really, when we think about the next generation, and I'm sure you think about this in the staffing industry as well, we're moving into this new world at work in different ways, no matter which industry you're in. And how do we really help people develop the skills that they need to be successful to help our community maintain that level of employment that is so critical? And that's really what helps keep me up at night and just thinking about the impact that we can make in HR and in the work you do in the community. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of disruption right now with with the pandemic and then just other macro factors that, you know, work from home and trying to figure that out. But then you think about change in technology and, and skills being not developed and, and people being left behind. And we feel called as, as a business, we have a, a nonprofit that takes you from any job to a better job to a career. And we call it ABC. And we're finding ways to, to get grant dollars to lift up our workforce and, and take them from, you know, $15 an hour to $25 an hour in full-time employment. And so, there's, I think there's a real responsibility and opportunity for the HR suite and leaders to, to take hold of this as, as just, I think the game is changing. I think that the need for empathy and communication and isolation, which has gone on this year, there's just going to be, I think, a ton of goodness and opportunity for, for leaders in the HR suite to step up. So encouraged to watch all this unfold. But it's really kind of scary to see some of these businesses that don't get HR and, and still kind of go on the scamps and use it just as like an admin function. It's like, man, you just don't get it. And you're going to be left behind. So that's kind of scary when that happens, especially if it's an HR, you know, you got an HR leader that's actually talented and wants to make change and they just feel stuck in that, that situation. It reminds me a little bit of what you've talked about in the DE&I conversation around, you know, are you, are you just kind of talking about it or are you actually doing something? Are you, on the dance floor, right? And, that, and that's a little bit of what I think you, you see sometimes in the people leadership space or in the, the HR space. 
is do you want to just talk about culture? Like what are you actually doing day in, day out to create differentiation? We'll come full circle here because we'll talk about the mission focus you've got. And I know that, again, speaking of not just doing something or not just saying something, but actually doing something, the Morales Group, since the beginning, you've mentioned what your father, Tom, and what you have been focused on in terms of helping give back to the community. What are some of the things you're focused on right now as a company in terms of giving back and, and the community and what, what's on the horizon? I think just near term, what, some of the things that we've done with giving back that's been fun, you know, with, with COVID and the pandemic, it's been hard to do a lot of our serving hours. We have this, this passport where you, you pick up stamps from serving, you know, in the community and you can't necessarily do it inside a, a soup kitchen or at a, at a place where you're helping out people find employment. So one of the things that we did, we partnered up with a, a church here locally in town and a packaging company, and we fed all these families. So there was this program with the government where all these fresh groceries were brought into a, you know, a refrigerated truck and we were able to pass these out. So we fed over 7,000 families over the last, I'd say 90 days. And it's been really cool to do that here in our community with our team and it's called feed your, your neighbor. And that's the program that we partnered up with, but you know, it's been, it's been hard because you've had to be creative, but I think there's, there's lots of opportunities as, as businesses, you know, for us, when we started our company, we had some challenges. We didn't really have a why and we didn't have a mission. And when we finally got a hold of our mission and our why, which is building better futures one story at a time, our business skyrocketed because people got behind a cause or a purpose. And that was really the, the, the differentiator. So we went from, you know, little profit and little revenue to, you know, 120, 150 million over kind of an eight to 10 year period. And it was because we got our values and our mission very clear and we reaffirmed it. And then we got our team to buy into that. And then they started doing a lot of work in the community around that mission and theme, whether it was building homes in Mexico or doing a lot of good work here locally. So that's been the game changer for us. We got a hold of Simon Sinek's Start With Why book at, at grad school, and we plugged that into our kind of, you know, our, our theme of what we wanted to do for a kickoff for, this was like 2012. And then the business just really launched from there. You could just see that people bought in kind of like what, what Coach Allen's doing at, at Indiana University with football and I saw it with, with Coach Tiller at Purdue. It was basketball on grass, and it was be that underdog and find a way to, to make it happen. So it's been, it's been fun to see that. And you know, I think we're, we're going to you know, head into the future. We really want to scale our business up, but we want to scale it where it has a lot of impact. And, it, and it, you know, it, it impacts not only our local community, but we think we can do stuff globally. So I think we're just getting started. I've been in the business for 15 years now, going on 16 next month. And I'm excited because I think there's tons of runway and we have a great platform established, but now it's time to really like turn it on and be even more impactful. Megan, thank you so much for joining us here today. And Seth, thank you. Really appreciate your time sharing your thoughts and, and wisdom and for everything you're doing in the community, both virtually on LinkedIn and helping physically in the community as well. Seth Morales, Chief Executive Officer of Morales Group, Inc., a truly remarkable leader and as he said, he's not done on his leadership journey. He's just getting going. But Seth, thanks for taking time today to join us. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for learning with us today. Did you enjoy the episode? Please share it along with someone you think would appreciate it. 
Subscribe and stay ahead of the curve with notifications of new episodes. Join the conversation and let us know what you think by tagging FirstPersonBA and using hashtag HumanResolve on social media. <laughs>